I, I'm going to just, <laughs> just be all over the that's place. A good, that's a good face to see from your co-host when they're looking at their notes for the episode. <laughs> <laughs> now you know I had Spooktober. I'm scared. I'm very scared. <laughs> okay, one bit of pre-roll that we do have to do. Um, so you guys have probably noticed we've been... A little inconsistent with the episode releases. Mm-hmm. Mostly that's just a product of us both being really, really busy. Mm-hmm. Um, but we did want to kind of give you a heads up. We will not be doing any more episodes for the rest of this year. So 2022, this Spooktober is our final 2022 episode. That's right. But then next year we will kind of try to reassess and we'll keep you guys updated if we kind of change our, if we officially change our release schedule mm-hmm. um, or anything like that. But yeah, this is our last 2022 episode. So soak it in, baby. And Sipsters, if you would like to share uh, maybe what you would like to see in future episodes or directions you would like the podcast to go, yeah. if you want to give us like whole Just, cloth yeah, tell us, <laughs> ideas tell on us, what you want to see from us. Because tell us that this is important to you. And yeah. so that will um, get us right back in there it to will, be very- It will very, certainly help our motivation to continue yeah. making episodes. Because, I mean, to part the curtain, we have kind of talked about not- doing more episodes but we really like doing these i think it's an important part of our routine as mother and daughter at this Uh point and it is very valuable to us when we hear um from yeah people talking about that they like something that something helped them or or even that it was just funny and they needed a laugh that day or um, um they learned something so if you have any of those kind of stories you'd like to share with us we would love to hear from you absolutely and so in the meantime um if you're listening to this as it's being released in october we will talk to you fresh again hopefully in january fresh with the like the fresh morning snow the fresh Morning dew. Morning dew. That will be snow. Of snow. (laughs) We love you, Sipsters. Love you. (laughs) We'd like to remind you that the information contained within this podcast reflects our own personal opinions and should not be held as any kind of official recommendation. That's right. This podcast is for our own purposes. It's educational mm-hmm. and, and for entertainment. Mm-hmm. Edutainment, if you will. <laughs> We're just a couple of yahoos with master's degrees, and this isn't a professional capacity. So if as you're listening to an episode, you feel that maybe you need help with your own mental health, please do contact your own doctor or a therapist. And finally, we try to stay pretty clean with this podcast, but sometimes we slip up and sometimes we just talk about weird stuff. So <laughs> <laughs> it might be not safe for work. You'd probably better listen with headphones. Hello and welcome to Freudian Sips, the podcast about brains, beverages, and other BS. I'm Bonnie. And I'm Anna. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Hi, Sipsters. <laughs> How's it going? <laughs> We are knee-deep into uh, October. We are. Hey, it's been a while. We're still here. We're still here. And um, we love October because we get to do... A Spooktober episode. I've had several people ask me, are you doing a Spooktober episode this year? And the answer is yes. Here we are. This is it. Here it is. This is it. (laughs) Well, I don't know what you have coming. My little part of it is not very spooky, but, you know, I guess it's how you look at it. It can be spooky. the concept of this episode makes me a little freaked out, so maybe that's why I wanted to do a Spooktober episode about it. It's just kind of like... I think the way to describe this is like 
weird perception glitches and like ways that our brain can kind of glitch out and not work the way it's supposed to in ways that are very kind of anomalous. Or not work in the ways that we understand. There you go. Maybe it is the way they're supposed to. Oh. So we're not, like, it's kind of like the glitch in the matrix kind of theory, but these are very specific types of it that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about several. A little smorgasbord. Smorgasborgs. We just got back from trick-or-treating, and we're dumping out all our candy in the middle of the table, and we've got a little little candy oh, smorgasbord. And you're so excited about seeing how many of the good ones you got. <laughs> and full then size, any full size bars. And then you're bummed out with those ones that you really don't like. Which ones did you not like? What, what did you not When enjoy? I was a kid, those wax things were real big. I don't even know what those things are. Wax? They're things. like candy, but they're made of wax. <laughs> no, they would, they're not candy legally, I <laughs> think. People would throw candles. <laughs> <laughs> and you would just be like gnawing on them like, this candy sucks. This is a weird candy. <laughs> this is the worst candy it in the world. It has an old burnt wick in it. <laughs> it's got a string in it. What's this string for? <laughs> now, you know what I'm talking about. There's some of them are, they're shaped like little soda bottles, but they're oh, made out of Oh, those wax. are gross. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just wax. What's the point of that? I think you, they're supposed to be like soda and like root beer flavored. Aren't they? I don't know. I never could figure out what to do. <laughs> Were with you them? chewing like a plastic? I was packaging? lighting them, <laughs> trying to smoke them. I don't know. I <laughs> how do these things work? Activate, damn it! <laughs> Go. So those would be my least favorite, but. Uh, <laughs> I also hated it when someone would put something kind of relatively healthy. Like, like raisins a, or something? Yeah, like a little bag of raisins. Little boxes little of boxes raisins. Little boxes of raisins. They're cute, but yeah, they were raisins. It doesn't matter how you dress them up. They're still raisins. <laughs> <laughs> I like those little dots or those little like gumdrop flavored. Yeah, yeah. I don't like those. Like you got, they sell them at the movies, dots. Yeah. Yeah, they, yeah they're like, They have little the like raisin, raisin box size boxes yeah, yeah, of those yeah. and they're uh-huh. gross. What was your favorite? Oh, I'm I'm an Almond Joy person and a Reese's person. Almond Joy, really? I did not know. I knew you liked Reese's, but I didn't know you only liked almond. And then you get the mounds and it's like, ah, oh, it's just not you the You get same. excited because you see it and you're like, that's the wrong color. <gasps> oh, that's my, my hopes and dreams are ruined. <laughs> yeah. No almonds. What? No, like especially Almond Joy. First of all, the fun size doesn't feel as like as much of a ripoff because the fun size Almond Joy is basically just half of an Almond Joy bar. It's just one of the little bricks. Right, right, right. So you get one little bite of just the coconut. Oh, that's so good. Oh, and then the second bite is the one with the almond in it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Sorry. I might be hungry. <laughs> I was going to say, you haven't eaten recently. I haven't have eaten you? dinner yet. <laughs> yeah. This is like why you don't go to the grocery store when you're hungry. Totally that. <laughs> Sorry. That's not what this episode's about. Although, we could do an episode on candy, maybe. Like How could we make that brain flavored is what came to my mind. Brain, brain flavored, flavored candy. I feel like one of our spooktobers had something about candy. Oh, maybe. I don't remember what it was Did about. Did we talk about something about the... Go back and listen to our spooktobers. <laughs> okay. Sipsters. Sipsters. And tell us. Go. Did we talk about that? Were they called spooktobers every time or uh, did they have different titles? None of them have Spooktober in the title. Oh, okay. They're just the ones that we release in October. <laughs> so you're going to have to figure that out, which might be a little tricky. But sorry. Go back sorry. Spotify. Scroll down. Listen to all of our episodes all over again. I wonder if we still have any, um, what do we call them? Golden. Golden Chalice Sipsters. Pe- I'm sure we do. listen to every single episode. Yeah. I bet we do. If you're a Golden Chalice Sipster, let us know. We love you so much. We do love you. We love you very much. We're not saying we love you more than the other sipsters. 
<laughs> it's like when you oh. and your brother say who the favorite is. Yeah. It's it's I my brother. Know. I don't. No. Gabe. No. 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 I do love you, Gabe. Gabe might be the not- favorite, but I've got a podcast with you, so we're even out. <laughs> Even Steven. Don't you think that if he was my favorite that I would have a podcast with him too? <laughs> he's like, Is this he's how like, you're oh, telling God. me that you and Gabe are starting a podcast together? <laughs> speaking of that. By the way. <laughs> no, but let's let's speaking of other podcasts. Oh. For pre-roll, let's talk about another podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my uh, most recent tennis episode just came out. Um, Nick had me on again for the, I think, third time this was. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've had him guess two lists. So as payback, he made me guess a list. And it was like the 10 most famous pieces of art, paintings. I think it was specifically paintings, maybe. Uh-huh. But yeah, it was very fun. And it was very good. I listened to it. I did you, okay. You did a good job. Did I do Blazab. a good job guessing? Thank you. <laughs> And I always like when you when I get a mention. <laughs> I think I think I'm Nick not, likes you more than me. Actually, he brings you up quite often, and it's always very favorably. So I think he thinks you carry this podcast, which I'm not going to correct him. <laughs> he has no idea that I do nothing at all. But it's nice to you know be called out. It's as, nice to get the the yeah, kudos without even having to do the work of being on the podcast. So yeah. you are just this mythical figure that does not come on other podcasts with me. For all anyone knows, this is just me doing two different voices <laughs> and our voices sound alike enough that you could do they that wouldn't even have to work very hard i know i'm like your altar or something <laughs> in a way you kind of i'm your be. altar kind of yeah would be more accurate yeah. yeah i sprang forth from you that kind of fits in spooktober right there <laughs> but yes sipsters if you haven't heard it i encourage you to listen to it yeah go check it out and go check out the other tennis stuff he's got good episodes mm-hmm. It's always best when Anna's on it. Yeah, but, I mean, if you're you know. only going to listen to like three of them, maybe then listen to the <laughs> ones listen that I was one. on. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe he's already invited me back. So I might might be appearing there again very shortly. No, I'm very proud of you, Anna Banana. Oh, thanks, Mom. See, I do like you a lot. <laughs> <laughs> She's going to be so nice to me this episode because I said that it wasn't her favorite. <laughs> Oh, my heart is hurting. No, I know that you don't have favorites. I know that you love both me and Gabe equally and completely Equal opportunity lover over here. Yes, I do. <laughs> okay, do we get down to business? Let's do, have- do it. Okay. So you have 42 ideas. Do you I want- have four. Oh, I thought <laughs> that's pretty close to 42. I have four to your two. <laughs> okay. Four to four two. Four to two. <laughs> so, yeah, do you want me to like do one and then you can do one? Yeah. Hop then, back and forth a little and then bit. You do two at a time. Or the, yeah. Okay. 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 First. All right. The first one isn't. I think I'm going from like least creepy to most creepy, maybe hmm. something like that. Um, because this first one isn't as creepy, but I think it does set the tone for like the brain glitch thing. So the first one I'm going to talk about is something called synesthesia, mm. which I've always been very fascinated by. That's always one of those things that like kind of wish I had that. <laughs> I kind of wish my brain was glitching in this way. <laughs> so this is when our perception wires get crossed, that something that stimulates one sensory pathway in our brain also tickles another sensory pathway, and we end up with two senses being linked in very specific ways. As an example, um, one very common type of this is called grapheme color synesthesia. And so you've probably, if you've heard of synesthesia, this is probably one of the ones you've heard of. This is when people read and certain letters and numbers appear as certain colors. And so like all A's are going to be red and all, you know, 
ones are are going to be blue. Are <laughs> you looking at me very oddly? What's because happening? Because I never heard that part of it. You know what synesthesia is? We've talked about it. Yeah, before. I do, but not the colored letter thing. Oh, not that, not that That's specific like one. So amazing. Well, so okay. So have you heard of any like specific types of synesthesia? What comes into your head when you think of that? Like seeing something and smelling it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Like that, is t- that is a type. And, it, and a smell. And that is the you. thing with synesthesia is because of how many senses we have, there's a lot of different types of where just different right, ones are right. getting crossed. Wow. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> if you have questions, I'd love to hear that. <laughs> I, I can't even form a question at this point. So just keep talking. Keep talking. Okay. okay. Well, I, so I was sorry. I'm sorry I was looking so shocked. I, can I love feel that. It I love when face. I can make you shocked. I was looking at her like, what? I know. You looked, she looked truly flabbergasted. <laughs> what i've lived all these years i've never heard of that well that's the type that i always think like gosh that'd be cool gosh i I think reading would be way more fun if i had that reading rainbow for real it's actual (laughs) reading rainbow you are reading the rainbow Maybe that's where they got that idea. <laughs> but so, okay, so <laughs> I'll talk about that specific type uh, uh, in a second. Okay. But uh, the numbers about how prevalent this is vary pretty wildly. I saw one that said it could be as common as one in four people having it. But that sounds way too common. Numbers that seemed a little more sane were like one in 300 to maybe like one in 2,000. Now, this is like generally, not just the colored letter thing. Yeah, this is okay. all this types is all of synesthesia. Of and that is part of it is that there are so many types that it probably is more common that you're going to have at least one of them. And I do think it's probably more common than we think. Just the other day, one of my clients was in talking about, and she brought up like, it was kind of funny because we had already talked about doing this episode. She's like, have you ever heard of synesthesia? And I was like, oh, I know all about synesthesia. <laughs> but she was like, yeah, I think I have that. And she talked about how she had seen a TikTok or something about someone talking about the type they had. That is, I'm not going to be able to explain it the way she explained it. But she even seemed kind of, it seems like a hard thing to explain as part uh-huh. of it. She says that when she visualizes the year, it's like a circular shape around her. Like different months or in the same place. So, for example, I don't think this is the way she explained it, but, like, August is always on my, like, 2 o'clock, and uh-huh. it kind of circles. So, like, January is kind uh-huh. of on the opposite side. So, kind of like circles. a clock. Kind of. Except with the months. Except with months. Okay. And I've heard other people say that, too, about, like, how they, they have... It's like a visualization that happens every time they think of time, basically. Like, that's just how their brain conceives time. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Which seems like it would be disorienting to me. To have like I'm sitting here being disoriented right now. <laughs> like when I think of a year, and then she kind of asked me that. She was like, "Well, how do you think of a year? Like, how do you think of time like that?" The first of all, the correct answer, the real answer, I think of time as a day at a time. Yeah. <laughs> I just need to get through today, my guy. <laughs> but when I think of like a year, I think of my calendar. Exactly. I think I like a paging. You yeah, know, the exactly. Pages like of that kind of like. Yeah. But I don't like visualize it. Right. I think of it as like looking at my calendar on Google Calendar or whatever. Uh But it doesn't like pop up in front of my face like like the Iron Man thing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And you can swish. Yeah, you can swish it away. (laughs) So yeah, I think it's probably a little more common than we think it is. The most common types of synesthesia are the ones that trigger with color. And the most common of all is day color. I assume that just means like Tuesday, Monday have different appeared, colors or yeah. yeah, are associated with different colors. Like when you think of Wednesday, that's yellow or whatever. See, I struggle with I don't think I can explain what I'm struggling with. 
There's lots to struggle with. This is a hard one to explain. It's a hard one to, I think, understand if you've never experienced it. I have a hard time conceptualizing it just because I've never experienced right, that. Right, right. But I think a lot of people have color in their perception of things. You know, like when you're sad, you're blue. Yeah. We've, we've talked what about society this has. Yeah, we have a whole episode on color psychology. And then you have, you know, people who say, you know, that they can see other people's auras and that they're that's color. Oh, interesting. You know, and so color is kind of goes, crosses over boundaries a lot of senses and perceptions. And- well, yeah, it's a, and it's a huge part of the right, world. Right. And, and I think that is kind of, if I had to guess, that's where the common like the one in four number would come from is just Mm -hmm. like where do you draw the line of like if it's synesthesia or if it's just like a strong association exactly i think it's it's vivid enough that you'd know if you had it i guess i'm pretty sure i don't have it (laughs) although okay so i say that and the literal next point in my notes tells me i'm wrong um so usually synesthetes which is what they're called which is cool you get your own like cool label name awesome uh synesthetes aren't actually aware of the fact that their perception has this extra thing. So I think that's part of it too, is that like those numbers varying wildly is because like, so knowing about this and knowing the different types, I am able to like read it and say, oh, I don't have that. I don't have that. I don't have that. Mm -hmm. But I think if you have it and you're just perceiving the world that way, you'd probably just assume that everyone else does. That's like being a person who has very deep empathy and and relating. It's like, does not everyone feel this much all the time? Exactly. Um, Because it usually does synesthesia, hopefully empathy as well. Uh, (laughs) It develops in childhood. And I guess people just don't really have a thought to question that that anyone else sees things any differently. Um, So they just kind of assume like, oh, yeah, everyone sees colors like that when they read. Like, yeah, like why that's not? normal. Yeah, yeah it's just how everyone reads. Most people report that their synesthesia experiences are neutral or positive. Some say it can lead to some sensory overload sometimes. So I think it kind of does depend on like you know what kind you have, what you're doing for a living. You know, if you have mm-hmm. the grapheme color and you're a lawyer and you have to be reading legal documents all day, that's going to probably give you visual migraines. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it it does kind of depend on what you're doing. However, I think that can go the opposite way too, where if you know how to do that, if, you know, you leverage that into being able to read better, being able to comprehend better, and actually, yeah, many synesthetes see it as a boon, as a gift almost. Like, Mm -hmm. they can leverage it into helping with, like, skills and abilities. So, back to the color grapheme thing that like if certain numbers are connected with certain colors maybe that's going to help that person do math better yeah yeah <laughs> like it, it might help them kind of it's kind of like a built-in mnemonic i'm not going to say that word device yeah <laughs> mnemonic mnemonic mnemonic. Very good. <laughs> mnemonic device mnemonic device yeah and and they can kind of associate it and leverage it but again it kind of depends on if you know that it's different and if it does help you rather than like overwhelm your senses a little bit and so there's really no way to like test for that it's just got to be like self-report right yeah there's no like measure for it yeah i think that's one of um 
we could talk about this all day, like the kind of positives where it's very easy to go into the negatives of like TikTok and stuff mm-hmm. and like how there is that kind of oversaturation of knowing about disorders and stuff where people might self-diagnose and that exactly. may become a problem. But for things like this, it's kind of just raising awareness of a thing that most people probably don't know about. Uh-huh. I mean, like everyone knows about depression and anxiety. They might not know exactly what it looks like, but everyone knows about it. Not everyone knows that some people see like color and letters like this you know what i mean so just knowing about it and being able to research it Mm -hmm. you know would probably open you up to going oh i actually do have this thing that other people don't have right right okay yeah that's kind of glitchy in the brain right isn't it Uh cool that's a good one to start with uh so like several of the things that we will be talking about we're not really sure or at least several things that i'm talking about i assume it's the same for yours uh we're not really sure why This happens. (laughs) That's part of the things that makes it like anomalous glitches is we don't really know why this is going on in some people's brains. And there's research going on currently to try to figure these things out. Yeah. Yeah. A few things can induce synesthesia to happen. So um, drugs, especially like psychedelic drugs can have this. Sensory deprivation can sometimes cause it to happen. Brain damage might make it occur. But when it's occurring naturally, it's usually involuntary. It's automatic. Like I said, it usually develops in childhood. So it's a thing that if your brain's going to do it naturally, that's just how it's wired. So a person can be born with it. It can develop in early childhood. But there is research that says there's a genetic component to it. The mm. So like, you know, they've done twin studies and stuff like that to see like if it is hereditary. So they think there's a little piece of that. But I don't know how, like how much of it is basically. Uh, researchers do believe that people who have synesthesia have a high level of interconnectedness between the parts of the brain that are tied to sensory stimulus. So there could be like these people's brains are literally like physically wired differently, not right, just right. like a weird thing's happening. Like yeah. the actual physical structures could be more closely connected than other people's like physical structures in their brain. That makes sense. All right. So let's quickly talk about a couple of the types. Like I said, grapheme color. This is when like uh, alphabet letter or numbers called graphemes are shaded with colors. Different people report different colors for their graphemes, but studies show there are some commonalities. Like I said, A is often reported as red. I don't know if that has to do with like the way we are socialized with color. Hmm. Like red's kind of the first color you mentioned and A's the first letter? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Do people mention red first? I wonder if there's some kind of correlation with like vowels and consonants maybe. I don't know. That's a good question. So again, these are this is cool. Think of this episode as a jumping off point if you want to do your own research. Yeah, that's a great idea. Like, especially synesthesia. Like I'm only going to be talking about a couple of these types. There are so many types. Mm-hmm. Like a lot. And they're all very interesting. And they all have like a name. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, and the next one is uh, spatial sequence synesthesia, SSS. Um, So these people see number sequences as points in space. Ah. So this is like the one that my client was talking about, I think, Um, because it might include seeing time, months, dates in space around them, or just in their mind's eye. Research shows that these people have way better memory and recall than others. Oh, that's cool. So again, it's kind of leveraging that to like be able to know when things happened. Another one is auditory tactile. This is when sounds induce a sensation in parts of the body. So this is like hearing a certain word and having it feel like a touch in a part of their body. This is not a thing called frisson. Frisson. Yeah. F-R-I-S-S-O-N. I think that's how you say it. But that is like when you get goosebumps in response to a rewarding stimuli. 
So they're called psychogenic shiver. So like when you're like listening to music that you really like and you get like goosebumps, yeah. that's a psychogenic shiver. This is not that. This is literally like hearing like hearing a certain sound and it feeling like a tap on you somewhere. And like from what I understand, like the same sound will be associated with the same touch feeling. Wow. Is that weird? Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking about really weird things right now, but okay, keep going. Do you keep going. share them? Are they weird enough to no, share? No, they're, they're too weird. <laughs> too weird to share. Okay. Okay, the next one is also a touch. It's mirror touch. This one's cool. So this is when the synesthete feels what another person feels, like touch. So they might see someone getting tapped on the shoulder and feel a tap on their shoulder where the other person, where they're seeing the other person get tapped, basically. That's like the mirror neuron thing that we talked about that That's why it's called that. Like the researchers that have been studying this think it is connected to the mirror neurons, which are linked to empathy. And indeed, like synesthetes of this type have been shown to have higher empathy levels kind of in general. Okay, so how about that? thing that you and I both do that when like we see somebody especially like with paper, paper cuts. cuts and we just like f- freak out yeah I think it's different because I don't feel it like in where the person I don't at least I don't know if you do I do you do like wherever the wound is oh I no when it. I I just feel like my whole body it's like when a spider dies and all their little legs like curl in like <laughs> pistons I feel like that's what happens when I like it's hard in to my define, core. but that's a really good way to describe it. But it like does, it goes. Makes you curl up. It does. It makes you. Yeah. But I, no, but I like if somebody cuts their finger. It, so maybe you have I'm, a bit of this. Maybe you have a bit of mirror touch. I mean, we've talked about how, and like you have high empathy anyway. So if that's just a thing that's associated with like mirror neurons, then maybe you have that. Huh. So again, that's kind of where that number is of like, okay, so if we're counting that, maybe it is closer to one yeah, four. Yeah, yeah. 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 I just say it's. Me being weird, but yeah. <laughs> this is all brains being <laughs> if weird. If I get to so call that cool name, I'll take it. You, you're a synesthete now. I dub you a synesthete. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> okay, last one. Uh, this is called, I picked this one because it's the funnest to say, lexical gustatory. <laughs> it's one of the rarest. This is when certain tastes are experienced with certain words. There's a documentary about this called Derek Tastes of Earwax, where a pub owner, James Wannerton, experiences this, where, like, Derek tastes like that. So, again, it's kind of like with the um, the auditory tactile, where, like, certain words will cause a certain, like, taste to happen. Oh, my gosh. That's really weird. Isn't that wild? And that could be awful, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially if if one of the things is earwax. Earwax. Yeah. Nobody wants to taste that. (laughs) So yeah, that's synesthesia. That's when our when our sensory wires get crossed, basically. Wow. That is very cool. Fun, right? That's very fun. Okay. Try this one, Anna. Have you ever had deja vu? Oh my god. I feel like I have that a lot. Do you? Yeah. That says a lot about you. Do about what does it say? <laughs> Well, let's just talk about it, shall we? Oh, let's break. Let's process it. Okay, so Sipsters, have you ever had deja vu? So what is it, Anna? How would you describe deja vu? Uh, I would describe deja vu as having felt like you've experienced a thing before, even when you're very sure that you've not. Exactly. That's a very good way to describe it. It it is actually a French word, of course. That's our French. Deja vu. Deja vu. (laughs) (laughs) It means already seen. Mm. It's typically just a very brief sensation. They say lasting no more than like 10 to 30 seconds-ish. I feel like if I had deja vu for 30 seconds, I would start freaking out. <laughs> like usually it's, it's just a very shorter than brief, 10. Like a, just like a it's breath like, almost. Yeah. Like yeah. I did that before. 
Yeah. And again, kind of like what you said, three different sources, two of them said up to about two thirds of all population have deja vu at least once, if not that many times in their me. life. Yeah. But there was a third source that said up to 96% have it at least once in their I life. I think everyone's had it at least I once. I think at least once. Yeah. So the concept of deja vu uh, has been around at least as far as, you know, using those words since the French philosopher and researcher Emile Warak. It's very good. You <laughs> have to put you, your hand you. out like that. I had to like French make words. some kind of French word. <laughs> uh, he coined the term in 1876. Uh, proponents of the psychic phenomenon quickly latched onto it as evidence of past lives. That was how it kind of got, got Why rolling. Why would your past life make you think you've experienced this life before? Like you've done that, like, I did this before. Well, yeah, you did it in your former life. Okay. I mean, it wouldn't be the exact same setting, obviously, because if you lived 200 years ago, it would be a different, but it was it was like a feeling that you had in a past life. I, so that was the man, first big thing about it. Dreams exist, though. I always feel like that's always kind of where I write it off as, like, I probably dreamed something you dreamed close it to before. this. Okay. Early psychiatrists and psychologists all kind of jumped on this to say it was not like past lives. <laughs> Sigmund, our bud. Oh, Freud had something to say about it. He attributed it to our repressed desires. And so that they were somehow in our subconscious thoughts or fantasies that then something triggered that and it felt like we did it before. And Carl Carl (laughs) Young, we've talked about our bud Carl. Yeah. Um, And he's the one, you remember when we talked about him, we talked about collective unconsciousness, which you seem to grasp much better than I do. Just that because I played the Assassin's Creed games. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to know why. <laughs> um, he believed that that's where deja vu came from. That we're tapping into the collective consciousness. So that memory that we have is not actually our own. It's someone else's within. I uh, see. I always think about the in um, Star Trek the Borg. Yeah, the assimilating. The, yeah. yeah, the collective consciousness. Yeah, it's it's it is that kind of big like hive mind kind of thing. Except exactly. it's talking about like ancestors and stuff too. Like we are the sum of all of the ancestors' collective unconsciousnesses. I I really do wish the sipsters could see our hand motions <laughs> when we talk about this stuff. <laughs> okay, but, but basically, in the scientific community. The basic idea is that there's some kind of disconnect, like you say, a glitch. You know, there's some kind of disconnect, a clash between what's obviously unfamiliar and yet our brain is saying this is familiar. So I wanted to talk about one particular researcher named Claire, I'll say her name wrong, (laughs) Flaherty Craig. She's got a hyphenated last name. She's a neuropsychologist at Hershey Medical Center, and she's done a- She works with chocolate? (laughs) The whole building is made of chocolate. It's a medical center made out of chocolate. (laughs) And they study deja vu there. Wow. (laughs) I think I would know if I had been in a whole chocolate hospital before. (laughs) So a lot of her research has been um, studying epilepsy. Interesting. Patients who have epilepsy, many times, I did not know this until I did this studying on this, right before a seizure, they have like a deja vu moment. So is it like connected to those parts of the brain? Mm-hmm. The brain regions for memory are the tem- temporal lobes. I wanted to say temporal for some reason. Temporal lobes. I've heard it both ways. And there's an area for monitoring memory accuracy in the middle frontal lobe. The patients reporting deja vu are temporal lobe 
seizure patients. Okay. Okay. So the actual trigger for it in healthy people that don't have epilepsy, that kind of healthy, we really don't know why. They they have been able to really kind of see this as part of what's happening for people with seizures, but not with people who don't have seizures. Which they I can know. understand for a person having a seizure because like your temporal lobe is just kind of seizing up itself. I exactly. Mean, like it is your body is following suit after what your brain is doing. Mm-hmm. So if those wires are getting crossed that way, then there's our explanation. That's where the wires are getting crossed. Right. But it's hard. I mean, I think it's really interesting, first of all, that her research in epilepsy led to that because of that correlation uh-huh. but it's not like we can study people who have it normally because we don't know when it's going to happen we exactly. don't know how long it lasts we can't study it we can't induce it to happen i don't exactly. think well they've done some research where they try to get <laughs> people to, to do it, it stab their brains yeah. with we'll electrodes t- we'll talk about that in a minute no <laughs> electrodes in this one but i did want to mention that in her writing she talks about how for a long time there was just this idea that One side of your brain, one hemisphere of your brain would process visual information first. And so the delayed information would reach the other hemisphere, kind of like a memory. Like, so you, you That makes sense. It's Mm -hmm. like an echo, but your brain's like, exactly. no, but- No, wait a minute. I'm just experiencing this now. Right, right. However, this is really interesting, I think. They did recent studies on blind people which you would say, how is deja vu work with them, right? That they have found cases where sometimes blind individuals report deja vu in either a hearing or a touching or smell. I was going to say, I think deja vu is more than just visual anyway. Like when I have deja vu, it's because the sensation is similar, I think. It's a feeling, right, right, yeah. So that kind of cuts out that whole idea of right hemisphere, left hemisphere visual thing. Yeah, that makes sense. She also says in her writing that, that some of the studies have tried to say that deja vu might be coming from just having an accumulation of life experience. Like we just have so much in there that they kind of just well, overload. Yeah. Um, Circumstances overlap and things right. seem similar to each other. And our brains, we've talked about how notorious our brains are at memory anyway. Exactly. So if our brain's just like, that's just like that other thing. And we're like, it's kind of sort of like the other thing. It's not just like it. And our brain's like, no, it's just like the thing. <laughs> So statistically, however, the frequency of deja vu episodes declines with age. So that kind of kind of does away with the accumulation thing, except some young people have a lot of experience already. And it does say that people who either watch a lot of movies and like visual oh, stimulation yeah, uh, stories and, and people, who have, people who have traveled a lot. Those are the people who have more episodes of deja vu, generally speaking. So we just have more stuff in there. I think that makes sense because I think people who kind of stick to their same routines, I mean, that feels familiar anyway. It's a routine. That's the point of it. So I think it would be easier to go into a novel experience and say, oh, it's weird that I do think this is familiar. Exactly. So they have kind of discovered that statistically more episodes in late adolescence and they peak in young adulthood. Um, and then they decline with age. They have also shown, like through their research, that fatigue and stress often cause more deja vu episodes. That makes sense. Our um, brains don't work as good when we're, we're tired. We're just worn out. Yeah, yeah. And so things aren't clicking. So the glitches are, are more obvious then. I wanted to mention one other thing, and that was kind of like, so so how they have done some research is they've set up situations where the because they believe that a lot of it has to do with spatial resemblance so just the spatial 
setup of a scene, mm-hmm. you know? And so if you've... The feng shui in here is very similar exactly, <laughs> to <exactly>. another feng shui. <laughs> and, and there's actually a name for it, the gestalt familiarity hypothesis. Interesting. According to this hypothesis, if a previous situation with a similar layout to the current one doesn't come to your mind, you might just have this feeling like it's familiar. Like you can't remember it. It's not in your conscious really, mm-hmm. but you just are like, I've, I've been here before. Because it's similar. It triggers an old memory. Like your brain has to catch up before it recalls. Exactly. Exactly. And so that's kind of how they did the experiments, that they would – people go into similar situations that they experienced. (laughs) Kept them – like, have them kept walking into the same room, like, tell me if (laughs) it happens. Tell me that you've been here before. (laughs) Duh. You made me walk in 20 (laughs) times. It is feeling familiar. Exactly. (laughs) Have you got it yet? (laughs) We're not letting you leave until you say you've had deja vu, so. (laughs) And and basically also it talks about how – if we've had, it's it, this goes back to the other thing that we said before that if if you've had a lot of life experiences, you're more likely to feel like you've already done that before because you probably yeah. have. You might not have really focused on it at the time, and so it wasn't even really a clear memory. But yet your subconscious remembers. You know, your subconscious has some flavor of that. So, but it can be kind of a, I don't know about you, Anna, but I've had kind of creepy moments, and this would fit in Spooktober pretty well, where you just kind of. Not only do you feel like I've done this before, but it's almost like you know what's going to happen next. Yeah. Because you already did this. And so I know you said that it happens very briefly, but I have had moments in my life where it would go like the whole 30 seconds where I really? feel like almost like a converse, part of a conversation was like, oh my God. I'm- I guess I have had a little bit longer. But like I said, I think the longer it goes, the easier it is to be like, what is exactly. happening to me? Exactly. The longer it goes, the more freaky it is, I yeah. think. And I don't know, Sipsters, if you've ever experienced something like that where you... And then, you know, that kind of brings to mind those scary movies where people are doing things over and over again, you know, oh, in a yeah. loop. Because that's a terrible Freaky thought. feeling, right? Yeah, yeah. That's why I think Deja Vu should be in Spooktober. Okay. Well, it is. There it is. Okay. Deja Vu. We did it. Your turn. <laughs> Okay, uh, my next one is Uncanny Valley. Uh, this one feels like it's definitely in the cultural lexicon. Like I think most people hearing that will probably at least kind of vaguely know what I'm talking about with that. It's a relationship between how human something looks and how we emotionally react to that thing. Mm. Um, so the concept suggests that there is a certain point where something looks very close to being a human, but not quite there. It's mm. like just off enough that it really triggers these feelings of like uneasiness and disgust in us. It pops up a lot in dolls, in robotics. Um, sometimes computer animation can do it if it's not great computer animation. So if you've ever watched a CGI movie and just been like, this is... I don't like this, man. <laughs> this just... It's so interesting that you say that uneasy word because that's... I've seen some of... You know, like when you watch the computerized, like they're mm-hmm. not real people. Yeah. And you look at it for a minute and you think, is that real? Right. Is it... And then you know it's not, but it's like, it's so freaking real. It's got to be real. But it does give you like this uncomfortable feeling like... Yeah, when it gets... A, it it, it, it kind of does topple over. Because, like, the Uncanny Valley, I think, is this very specific. Because it does kind of cross back over to when it looks close enough, then we kind of feel okay about it. Uh-huh. But then that adds a whole nother existential dread. Like, I can't even tell then. It's so close that I can't even tell. Right. <laughs> so what is real? Yeah. 
Um, there's a, a Netflix show called Love, Death, and Robots that has, it's like an anthology series. So they're all like different animation styles, but there are several of them that are like that hyper-realistic kind of animation. And it is all, they're beautiful, but there is always that feeling of like, oh, it's uh-huh. weird that it looks so good. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's weird that it looks so human. Yeah. Like really attractive man. <laughs> and he's. Those are pixels on the screen. Like, Damn. Yeah. <laughs> They can make those pixels look well, so good. They really can. That's the beauty of some <laughs> or computer a beautiful graphics. woman. It's like wow. Okay. Well, geez. Uh, the first appearance of the concept of the uncanny valley came from a robotics professor, Masahiro Mori, who called it Bukimi no Tani Gensho in 1970. I've just got to stop you because the last seven seconds. <laughs> You should just replay like 12 times. You did that flawlessly. <laughs> Thank you so you much. You didn't even like squint or squink or anything. You just like... No pause. Flawless. Smooth like water, know, baby. Jeez Louise. That you was a no little uncanny valley idea right there. How much I practiced that. <laughs> All day today, between Anna's therapy sessions, she was like, no Tanigan show. And I don't know what that actually translates to, but it was translated as Uncanny Valley in 1978. This linked it with the overall concept of the uncanny, which was introduced way back in 1906, and then later criticized by our boy Freud. Freud, um, he yeah. gets his foot in everywhere. Doesn't he truly, he? he truly does. Every everything that anyone did around the time, he kind of popped in. And was like, "Do you want to hear what I think about it?" And everyone's like, "Not really, Sigmund. We're trying to do our own thing. Can you go back to the bright?" And he's like, "No, I think I'm gonna write an article about this. I'm gonna do it." And then he would just kind of like do a bump of cocaine and leave their office, I guess. The following <laughs> announcement is brought to you by Freud because I'm in everything. This is Freud. I have a thought on this, as I usually do. And no, I will not be silent. <laughs> I won't shut up. You can't make me. <laughs> but the uncanny in general kind of means creepy in a strangely familiar way. So I would call deja vu kind of an uncanny yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's strangely familiar. It puts us off balance a little bit. Maury's original hypothesis said that as a robot is made to look more human, observers' emotional response is usually positive, usually empathetic, until it looks too close to a human, at which point we kind of go the other side. We start to react with that revulsion feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, it did say that when it becomes less distinguishable from a human again, the feelings go back to being positive. Huh. Which I can say, like, especially in robotics, like, they there was that kind of time where they were trying to make robots look way human, and those things freaked me out. Mm-hmm. But now I'm seeing videos of those little robots that are, like, just basically rectangles with, like, little dog legs, and they're <laughs> hopping all over, and I'm like, oh my god, it's I'm so cute. That. I want yeah. five of them. <laughs> but They have the same brain as yeah, the little human guy. Exactly. Yeah. In actuality, they're more advanced than those ones uh, that were looking more human. Uh-huh. They're just put in a more palatable form. We watched some scary movie a while back that was about robots. And it was that little boy that was on Sixth Sense. Haley Joel Osmond? Yeah. He was, was it an old, older one? Yeah, it's an old movie. Was it AI? AI, AI that does AI. sound right. He was a robot. And it was, I mean, you know, your brain knew 
this is that little boy actor. actor. Yeah. But they would have these scenes where they would like take off his face, you know, to fix it or whatever. And it was, and and then your brain thought, okay, he's actually a robot. What if a robot (laughs) actually looked like that? Yeah. And, you know, was calling the woman mama or whatever. Like, holy crap. I've been playing a lot of Fallout 4 recently uh, because I love the Fallout series. And one of the big plot points in Fallout 4 is that synths are taking over. So synths are synthetic humans. Uh. And there's this plot, like, I mean, they kind of go into like, the the processes and like the v- different versions of them and how the new version is indistinguishable from a human so there's this kind of fear going around of like they're gonna replace us they're taking people in the night and replacing them with synths that look do just they, like them do synths know their synths some of them do ah uh, some of them don't Ruh-roh. i know oh there's lots of it's 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 a pretty good game. But so that kind of goes into some of the theories as to why we have the reaction that we do. So one of the theories is something called mortality salience, which is a very impressive set of words for basically it gives us existential dread. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, so the experience of uncanny robots or dolls can bring up this fear of death in us. We see this robot that looks human and it elicits feelings that we're soulless machines. Oh. So like even like there kind of can be this bigger existential thing, but it can also be like a very specific like what if we are being replaced by robots? So it kind mm-hmm. of there's a spectrum of how like paranoid I guess those thoughts can be but it brings up these feelings of concern about our own mortality basically Mm -hmm. um and seeing something that has a human appearance like if we see a robot get disassembled or something it can be upsetting because it makes us think of ourselves in that state Mm. Um, it can also make us think of like i said being replaced by these human-like things so it, it does kind of bring about our own mortality feelings Another one is something called pathogen avoidance. So this theory says that the uncanny valley relates to how we see corpses. Since corpses are very human looking, but they aren't moving. They're very still, unnatural, you know, stiff. It's generally negative (laughs) when we see that. Yeah. And very much like seeing a robot that looks human, but is not quite there and maybe not moving in the correct way. Mm -hmm. um, It can make us associate that with a corpse. Oh. And of course, there's a very evolutionary reaction to like seeing corpses and wanting to avoid them because those have pathogens. That's where that pathogen oh. avoidance thing comes in. We, I see. we want to be freaked out by corpses because we don't want to go toward corpses because they could be carrying some kind of disease or uh, contagion. Okay. Hmm. Another one is conflicting perceptual cues. So this is more the weird brain glitch territory. Uh-huh. Um, so this theory says that it's like a form of cognitive dissonance, I guess, mm-hmm. where we can't really accurately put a thing into a category. So right, our brain's right. having a hard time conceptualizing uh-huh. it. Our brain's registering something that looks very humanoid but moves like a robot or doesn't move at all. It kind of goes back to that corpse thing. And we feel this like psychological discomfort that we can't really put it into the schemas that we have in our head Mm -hmm. um or especially i think when we put something into a schema and then it suddenly like the illusion breaks a little bit i think that's even more freaky yeah like when we see one of those very human like robots and even if it looks very good when it starts to move and starts to move in that kind of unnatural way we go oh yeah oh i don't like it when it moves (laughs) or Uh speaks or does anything huh Uh So it, it, we have, you know, specific ideas about what it is to be a human and what a human is and what a human looks like. And so that kind of goes into that cognitive dissonance area. And there's also threat avoidance. Um, I've seen this theory online that we have this uncanny valley effect because at some point in our evolution, there were things that were human-like, but that we needed to avoid. 
Now, I think personally that this goes back to the corpse theory. I think that's what that links mm. to. Usually people who use this one are talking about something supernatural, though. Right, <laughs> like right. some kind of cryptid or alien that mm-hmm. was like human-like. Um, and there's even, like, there's still tales of like cryptids that pretend to be humans. Mm. So we kind of have to have this like, oh, it's kind of weird, though. It's kind of moving kind of weird, so I have to be careful. But like I said, it could link back to the corpse thing. It could even also link back to us trying to differentiate from like early humans or Neanderthals when we mm. first kind of got to that evolutionary step because they were, they look like us, but not quite. Uh-huh. And so it kind of brought that feeling up. Huh. Okay. And a little bit of brain stuff has a treat about this one. There was research in 2011 using an fMRI, and it found that the biggest differences in brain responses to uncanny robots happened in the parietal cortex, and that's controls sensory information, specifically in the visual cortex that processes body movements. Um, so this also contains mirror neurons. So again, it it links back to like, we're trying to connect with this thing that's not moving in a way that feels human. Right, right. Um, So when we th- see things moving not like that, but they look like that, our brains go, no, I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> Ew. A study in 2009 tested the uncanny valley in monkeys. They tested five monkeys who were shown three images, a 3D unrealistic monkey face, a 3D realistic one, and then a real monkey face. And basically they used how often the monkeys looked at each as a way to gauge how much they preferred it. Uh-huh. Um, and the monkeys looked at the 3D realistic one way less. <laughs> they didn't <laughs> like that one. Uh, uh-huh. So that showed scientists that the uncanny valley isn't necessarily specific to human culture. It's not necessarily linked specifically to our human cognitive processes that there is something like that maybe in animals and 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 that kind of might just be a general thing wow okay so that's what that is so let's take the monkey concept and go into my next one okay because monkeys have also been tested for this okay (laughs) and i always say it's been tested for a lot of things poor monkeys they get in there a lot (laughs) Pareidolia. Very good. That was probably perfect. (laughs) (laughs) I I practice that as much as you practice all that. (laughs) It shows. I was very confident. Okay, yeah. But now I'll never be able to do it again. Okay. So so pareidolia is our tendency for incorrect perception of a stimulus as an object, uh, pattern, or meaning known to the observer. I'm reading this, of course. (laughs) We'll break it down. It's usually visual. And what we're going to talk about specifically is face pareidolia. But it can also be other things like uh, hearing hidden messages in music or... Oh, interesting. That's part of that? Yeah, that's all pareidolia. Oh. Or like we've talked about this before about hearing voices in like white noise. Oh, yeah. Okay, so that's kind of that. That's pareidolia. Mm -hmm. It's pattern recognition is what pareidolia is. Our brain is putting... Uh, putting something together that's not necessarily there. It's mm-hmm. trying to figure out what's what's really there, but right. there, it's it's like Even it's when, a glitch. Yeah, the, sti- yeah. the stimulus is vague. Yeah. So so just some like examples are when we look at the clouds and we can see oh there's an elephant and mm-hmm. we can you know oh okay yeah that's that's a kind of pareidolia as well. The one we're going to talk about specifically is face pareidolia, which is where we see faces in things and this is kind of i don't know kind of almost become a thing <laughs> yeah in, the reason i know what it's culture. called is because there's a subreddit called pareidolia oh really <laughs> yeah really? and it's just people posting things of 
faces they've seen in weird places. So this can be like anything from like, we have that example that we always hear about seeing someone's face in a piece of toast, you know? Yeah. And there was that one woman who- It's usually Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. (laughs) Except some woman sold a piece of toast for $28,000- that had Jesus that in it? That had a face on it. It wasn't even Jesus. It wasn't Jesus. It was just some dude? No, just a woman, I, I mean, think. I, oh, it was a lady? I think so. $28,000. I would like to see it. Was I it? couldn't yeah. find an image of it. <laughs> it I looked must and looked be for the it. most sculpted it's face. probably. That lady a, must be so A photograph hot. like glued yeah. on. <laughs> glued on to it's the like bread. like paper mache onto the bread. <laughs> She's like, it came out of the toaster <laughs> like this. Okay, so the word pareidolia was first used by a German psychiatrist named Carl Ludwig Kalbaum in a paper called On Delusions of the Senses, which he published in 1866. Hey, that sounds like just up our alley for this episode. I know. Um, it was later reviewed in the Journal of Mental Science, which is now the British Journal of Psychiatry. He proposed pareidolia as a term for delusions of the judgment caused by imperfect perception. And this kind of just gave it a jump start into studying what it is, because honestly, in the beginning, it was considered a symptom of psychosis, or at least a sign of dementia of some sort. Seeing faces and mm-hmm. stuff? Mm-hmm. Like delusional. Wow. But that is no longer I mean, at all what they believe. They yeah, believe if now that everybody see- does If you're it. still believing it's a face, even after you've looked at it a little closer. Right. Then yes, maybe that's, <laughs> then that's per- a problem. Perhaps yeah. worrying. <laughs> But sometimes we do it on purpose. I mean, I, I I don't know about you, but sometimes I look at something and kind of consciously try to see something I, more in it than yeah. Than and I think it. that it kind of links back to as humans, we pack bond with things very quickly, and that includes inanimate objects. We like right. you know we we assign kind of human personhood to right. to things, and we get very attached to them. Right, and and that's kind of now at the core of the research. That, that they believe that the reason our brain does this is is basically because of the evolution of it was important for us to be able to recognize human faces mm-hmm. and to react to human faces. It's very much linked to the Uncanny Valley thing. Exactly. And so it, it's been the way that we have evolved actually toward a, a good thing of being able to recognize human it's faces. A, it's that being social creatures thing. That's exactly right. Unfortunately, some of the research, this research goes in a lot of different directions. Some of the research shows that people who struggle with neuroses <laughs> and people- Present? <laughs> yes. And people who are, quote, in negative moods- Present? <laughs> are likely to experience it more often. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, they just want a friend. The, the reason for this seems to be that those people are on higher alert. Oh, interesting. And so they're kind of- watching out it's like a hypervigilance thing right 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 i can see Um, that so they see something that isn't there so one of the reasons they're doing studies about this is because they believe that you know there are certain things that we deal with in mental health that it would be helpful to know why our brains function where not only that we recognize faces but that we recognize emotion in faces and so this is specifically like for those on the autism spectrum and how they they don't see they can't read people's faces Mm -hmm. you know the way that a neurotypical person can and so they've done studies to try to figure out what is that in our brain i wonder if there's links with mirror neurons in autism as well Ooh, that's a good question well there is a part of your brain called the ffa the future farmers of america are in my brain (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> it's a weird name. It sounds like I made it up. Fusiform face area. FFA. Fusiform face area. Fusiform? Fusiform. Um, which is where most of our face perception processes take place. It's located in the fusiform. Is it gyrus? I think so. G-Y-R-U-S, which is in the inferior temporal uh, cortex, the bottom of your temporal lobe. Okay. Okay. I just thought I'd throw that in because you always throw in the good brain stuff. I like that brain stuff. It is interesting that it's by the time place, the time neighborhood. So it's a perception thing, yeah. That's true. Like a perception of... I mean, like, I know that faceness is a thing that babies develop, like, super early on. And faceness is just, like, when you like looking at faces. Right. Like, babies... When shown, like, a vague stimulus and then a vague stimulus that lo- either looks like a face or is a face. I can't remember what the actual study was. They will mm-hmm. look toward the face way more often. Right, right. We just, we like to look at other people. We like to look at them. We like faces. We like faces. And there have been studies, you know, that encourage, like, it's like directed pareidonia in that, like, the, well, we've talked about the Rorschach tests. Oh, yeah. And that's like looking at an ink blot that really is just a blot of ink, but we're saying to the person, what do you see? What do you see? And and we're encouraging them to use their brain purposefully to see something that's not really there, yeah. basically. Recognize so this pattern. Like, and so, our brain's like, there's no pattern. And right. We're like, recognize one. Right. One of the things that I thought was really interesting when I was reading about all this, though, is that just like when we maybe like look at a fire hydrant that we can see a face on it because it's got a nose and it's got these two bolts that yeah, look like eyes. Or, yeah. or like the the classic example is a house with the two windows as eyes and the door being yeah. the nose or the mouth or whatever. And you guys have, Sipsters, you've seen so many of those things online where they show these pictures and some of them are hilarious, you know, <laughs> or a potato that has I, eyes in a certain I think place. my favorite one I've ever seen is this like, it's just like a normal plastic chair, uh-huh. but like there's two bolts, and then the way the like the the back is cut out, it's just this huge smiling mouth. He <laughs> looks like the happiest to see you, the happiest chair, the happiest you. chair that's Please ever sit lived. on me. <laughs> <laughs> but you know those face recognition programs that they have, you know, high technology crap. There, you know, where they the ones that. Facebook and Jeff Bezos will use to right. track us. <laughs> exactly. That all those uh, secret secret societies <laughs> use. Those programs will sometimes do this as well, where yeah. they'll see it's something like, face. inanimate and yeah. they'll they'll focus on it and say it's a face. See, guys, so computers aren't better than us. See? Computers they make aren't, the same mistakes the, we computers do. Computers see faces and things just like we right. do. We have glitches in our brain, but computers but have so glitches computers. too. <laughs> so they're not going to replace us, even if it's Uncanny Fine. Valley and they look just like people. Don't worry about Don't it. Don't let it freak you out. Don't worry about it. Don't let yeah. the Amazon dogs into your home. Don't worry about it. <laughs> So pareidolia is when we see something that's not actually what it is that we're looking at. Yeah. And specifically face pareidolia is when we do see faces and yes. things. And that's a it's a big thing for humans. Because like you said, Anna, we like faces. We want to look at faces. So our brain does that. That's Pretty. so cool. Yeah, I know. So that doesn't sound as spooky, but it is kind of a glitchy thing. That's true. Okay. That's all I got. I also think that's one of the ones that are like, we know what we're doing like, we know that it's not actually a face. We just right, think it's right. cute that it looks like one. That's why right. we put it on the internet. <laughs> right. Exactly. All right. So my next one is called the body transfer illusion. This is kind of a specific one. Um, so this is the illusion of owning a body or a body part that is not our own. Um, Ooh. It's kind of weird, right? It's creepy, yeah? 
It's interesting because it relates to bottom-up versus top-down processing. So what this means is top-down processing is basically our, like, what we know, our prior knowledges, our prior experiences. Mm -hmm. I know that this is what my body looks like and these are all my body parts. Bottom-up is based on sensory information and happens in real time. So basically the illusion can be stimulated by things specifically meant to use bottom-up processes, so sensory processes, to override top-down, which is what we already know. The most common form of this is called the rubber hand illusion. The first time this was reported was 1998. Ayrson Spence and Passingham also studied it further in 2004. So this is when they have a subject seated at a table with their right hand in front, but their left hand like out of sight. Uh-huh. And then a lifelike rubber left hand is placed in front of them. Oh. So experimenters stroked both the hidden hand and the, the rubber one um, with a paintbrush, like at the same time. So they're, they're feeling the stroke on their actual skin when the rubber hand that they are looking at is experiencing like the stroke as well. If they stroked it at the same time, in the same direction, they found the subject started to perceive the rubber hand as their own. Um, Even to the point when asked to point to their left hand with their right, they would point to the rubber one that was right there. So these sensory things, like... See, I think that's kind of a mirror neuron thing, too. Oh, interesting. Wouldn't that be? Is it mirror neurons if it's your own stuff? I don't know. I think mirror neurons are cool enough that I'm willing to give them kudos for all of this. They can be part of every single one of these. (laughs) A later study by the same folks used the same procedures but took it a step further by then threatening the fake hand with a needle. (gasps) MRI scan showed an increase in the subject's anterior cingulate cortex, which activates when a person anticipates pain. Uh They also had activity in the supplementary motor area, so that was related related to the urge to pull their hand away. Yeah. And they would actually usually move their real left hand despite it never being in danger. Oh my gosh. So they would see this thing coming at them. Uh And I've even seen like in the videos, because you know, people can do this. I've seen some that use like a mirror instead of just like a fake left hand. So there's variations of this. Uh I've seen videos where the people who do this in kind of like a social experiment kind of way where it... (laughs) It like culminates in them slamming the left hand with a hammer <gasps> and freaking out the subject. <laughs> so it's basically like, haha, we made your brain think that was your real left hand <laughs> instead of like a. It's kind of like the shock, this kind of shock way. experiments totally. that we talked about. Probably the coolest way this is used is to treat phantom limb pain. Oh. So when someone loses a limb, it falls into the body transfer illusion area because they like feel like they still have that limb in a lot Mm -hmm. of cases that's where that phantom pain comes in like i've seen it described as like feeling like their hand is perpetually clenched or like there's tingles in it Mm -hmm. oh this is where the mirror came from a mirror box can be used to trick the brain into thinking that they're manipulating the lost limb by manipulating the remaining one um so they'll like put a mirror up I think there was like a house episode where he did this for someone but he like put the mirror up and like so he was looking at his own his his own right hand being reflected so it looked like two and he had him like clench the fist into really tight and then release it and to release relax it, it. Yeah. and then like the guy the guy who was doing it like burst into tears and was Aww. like this is the first relief i have felt in years or something so it was really cool and like i don't know if the it's it, it's that dramatic when they do it in real life but uh-huh. you know they they have used it as a type of therapy to treat limb pain phantom limb pain wow that's amazing uh, virtual reality can be used in the same way um it can allow a person to see their missing limb and manipulate it that way although i don't really get how that would work because it's not responding to your brain movements 
Again, if you want to look more into this, Sipsters, <laughs> deep go dive, right deep ahead. dive. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's the body transfer illusion. Okay. Oof. Uh, the next one, the last one I've got is the strange face in the mirror illusion. Oh no! I yeah, you saved the, the spookiest. It's the spookiest. It's the spookiest spooktober. It's pretty creepy, and it's something you can do on your very own to freak yourself out if yeah, you want. Don't do it. Don't do it. Do it a little I bit. I hate mirrors. Okay. Mirrors are pretty freaky I anyway. Know, I know. Okay. So this is basically um, when looking at your own face in a mirror in dim lighting produces the appearance of strange faces. Um, this could be distortions of your own face. It could even be hallucinating other faces or even like monstrous figures. Italian psychologist Giovanni Caputo tested this out in 2010. At the end of a 10-minute session of mirror gazing, the participant was asked to write what he or she saw in the mirror. Oh, there were there were fifty people included, and obviously there there was dim lighting. Like in in the paper, he said <laughs> exactly like playing how to spooky do it. music. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they've got like people tapping on the window Saying from outside. Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, or whatever. I that think is. that's where this Bloody Mary thing comes from. Oh, okay, we'll talk God. about that. Okay, okay, okay. Um, but. The things that people reported as seeing, a huge subset of them, 66%, saw deformations in their own face. So they saw their face melting or changing in uh-huh. some way. 18% saw a parent's face with traits changed. Oh. Which I think is very interesting. That's cool, though. Because we have <laughs> elements of our parents' faces sure. anyway. I think it would sure. be a very natural jump for our brains to say, I'm actually seeing my you know, mother's face in uh-huh. the mirror. Uh, 28% saw an unknown person, so just a different person. 28% said that they saw an archetypal face. So like an old woman, a child, even a portrait of an ancestor could fall into that category. 18% saw animal faces, like a cat or a pig oh, or wow. a lion. Huh. And 48% saw fantastical and monstrous faces. Wow. Which is, that's huge. So over half saw like their own face deform and almost half saw like monsters. (laughs) Did anybody not see any change? I wonder they didn't say that. They didn't include it if they did, just I guess. Just looking at yourself going, damn, yeah. I'm looking. I know. Yeah. <laughs> You're just like, come out in 10 minutes, like, I'm hot. I don't I know. know what you want me to say. What did Why you see? would I distort the this best face? looking person in the world? That's what I saw. I spent 10 minutes winking at myself. <laughs> <laughs> hey, baby. Oh you got it going on. Yeah. They see a monstrous face and they're like, hey, king, you single? Like... <laughs> oh my gosh. And I would call this the same category as pareidolia. This is basically just pattern recognition. It's your brain essentially getting bored. Ah. And trying to find. Yeah, 10 minutes is a long time to stare at yourself. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, and especially in, like, the, specifically this one was done and the other ones that were done that I saw were, were dim lighting. And that's mm-hmm. how he said to to induce it, basically, uh-huh. is you have to have dim lighting. Because that creates this lack of visual stimuli where mm-hmm. your brain's searching for something even, again, goes back to, like, top down versus bottom up. Our brain knows that we're looking at ourselves in a mirror, but the sensory information that the brain is getting is having a hard time correlating with that. Uh-huh. So it's going to create different things. It's related to that pattern recognition. And yeah, you made the Bloody Mary joke. I think that's where this comes from. Yeah. So you've got this perfect conflux of like your your friends all giggling outside and, and right. talking about how creepy it's going to be. Yeah. You've set a tone. You're and, expecting something yeah, to happen. And yeah. And I think in 
in that game, you have to have like, it's either like the lights turned off or like a candle or something. Uh So it's very minimal visual Mm -hmm. stimuli. Mm -hmm. And you're primed for it. You're going to see something creepy because your brain's going to do this anyway. Like research has shown that everyone's brains do this. Right. Oh my gosh, that's so weird. Interestingly, a study testing neurotypical people versus depressed people doing a mirror gazing test showed that apparitions in the mirror were very reduced in depressed patients compared to healthy controls. I thought they would see like much darker things. Oh, you know, I, I thought they would see more monsters or more. That's interesting. No, it but says. it's the opposite. Yeah, the researchers. It's the apathy of, of exactly, depression. Exactly. That's exactly it. Researchers said that it was because of a lack of facial expression in their own face, uh, but also a lack of facial recognition of emotions right so that being everything is dulled when you're depressed exactly your own affect is dulled but also our own like perception of others and empathy and those mirror neurons aren't firing quite as much too uh-huh. so isn't that amazing i thought that was really interesting so if you're depressed and you go to like a sleepover and your friends you are like do, do the, the bloody, bloody mary, mary you can impress them so much <laughs> You'd be like, I an didn't see to your depression today. And also, that dude in the mirror, really sad, by the way. <laughs> What's his deal? <laughs> Bloody Mary wasn't there, but this bomber of a guy was looking at me for two minutes. Don't know what that was about. <laughs> oh, Anna. I don't know about you, but I just think it's so cool when we talk about these things that, that overlap, you yeah. know, that... Yeah, especially talking about them like we are able to see like, oh, those are probably very similar parts of our brain that are doing those things. Right. So what's exciting too to me is to think that that basically even though these are glitches, it's our brain working on trying to figure it out. Yeah, our brain's helping. Our brain is always working. Doing its best. It's trying to help us to figure out life. <laughs> You're standing there in a dark room looking at yourself going, I want to see something. And your brain's like, I'm freaking trying. <laughs> no, what I'm do you want to see? I'm doing my best. A dog. You're not giving me a lot to work with. Yeah, here's a lion. Are you happy? Here's a ghost. Ooh, she wants to kill you. Stop doing this to me, your brain says. And then you run out of the room screaming. Your brain says, go do some math. (laughs) Go read a book in a well-lit room, dummy. Oh, my. Okay. That's what we've got. That's what we've got for Spooktober. We got some glitchy stuff going on in our brain that can kind of be spooky. But when you really look at it with a rational brain, you know it's not spooky. It's just glitchy. (laughs) The scariest part of all is our own brain. (laughs) That's really true. (laughs) Scariest part of all is us trying to figure out our brains. True that. Our brains, this is our brains thinking about our own brains trying to figure out how our own brains work. But it's our brains thinking about it. (laughs) And that's oh, the I real almost fear. had a seizure right then. <laughs> you have deja vu? I had deja vu right before. Oh my gosh! Oh, I've had this so experience before where my together. daughter is saying dumb things to me. <laughs> when my daughter is making my brain hurt. <laughs> this that has definitely happened before. Yeah, that is true. And, and we I'm have sh- almost sure 110 <laughs> episodes documenting it. <laughs> Okay, Hannah Manana. Right. Will you thank our lovely listeners? Yes, I would like to thank our listeners. Listeners, thank you so much for being with us for another episode of Spooktober. I wanted to try to do a spooky voice, but all I get is is that kind of whispery. That sexy voice? My sexy voice. Use your sexy voice. (laughs) (laughs) You wanted to scare everyone, and now everyone's horny, Mom. Thanks for noticing that I have a sexy voice, (laughs) even at my advanced age. (laughs) 
<laughs> I could still be a one of those people you call on those 900 numbers. Yeah, you're a phone sex operator. <laughs> That's the retirement. real terror. <laughs> now, we've circled back to horror. <laughs> My 900 sex pot is a grandma. Uh, yeah, that's me. Okay. No, sorry, Sipsters. Got <laughs> off track for just a minute. <laughs> we are so glad that you, you're here with us, that you for put all up this with our crap. Golden content <laughs> that we're giving you. Tell your friends about our golden con- con- content. Contract. And your wow. golden chalice if you've listened to all the episodes. Oh, yeah, man, man. You really deserve some reward if you did that. Okay, <laughs> we should probably stop because my mouth is not working anymore. Okay. So thank you, Sipster. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. You can find us as always on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We are Freudian Sips Pod on everything, as well as our site, FreudianSipsPod.com. You can find everywhere to find us and our episodes all there. If you want to get a hold of us directly, if you want to email us um, perhaps episode topics, or um, if you want to tell us that you're a golden chalice sipster, that's wonderful. You can email us at FreudianSipsPod at gmail.com. Please remember to leave us a nice rating and review if you can do that wherever you're listening we will read it out loud and perhaps send you a sticker even yeah our theme music is sweeter vermouth by kevin mcleod and it sounds like this Mm